Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's going on, everybody? And today welcome to the we, show. Today we have the awesome a guest returning again, Tom Lapilli. How are you? I am great. Before we get started into, we have kind of a little bit of a grab bag episode of different subject matters, but mostly it's meant to be a retrospective on the last year of Magic the Gatheringness. Uh, before we jump into that, I do want to say, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We are yeah. at the MM Cast. Uh, Ooh, let's get to like the main subject of the evening, uh, the last year of Magic. So, um, this Monday, from the release of this, uh, Mark Rosewater wrote his yearly This Year in Magic State of the Union-esque uh, article, um, and it kind of goes back what has happened in the last year of Magic, and we did this a little bit before, but I do kind of want to look at and talk about Origins along with it and how the last year has gone, how the last like traditional block format went, and how we all felt about it. It's interesting, um, right, because the, the, the State of Design article... I, so I go in and out of reading a lot of magic articles, but I always stay a little bit up on it. But there have been years where, like, full years of my life where I don't pay any attention to magic over the last decade. I always read this article. For whatever weird reason, it sometime, somehow always finds its way. Like, maybe I just go to the website at one point, even if I'm taking a year off magic, and I've read every one of these I can think of for the last, like, six, seven years. I think part of the reason for – I agree. I do the same thing. I think one of the reasons is it's one of the few times – Wizards from a front facing, and especially Mark Rosewater, is hypercritical in like a front page article on the site of what they've done in the last year. Because, um, you know, and this is just, they're blatant about this, but this is a marketing site. The point of the, the mother page is to sell Magic the Gathering. So having most of the articles be positive about it makes sense. But going back and be like, these are the mistakes we made and these are the corrections um, is something that from everyone playing the game is super interesting and from their perspective is a rarity. It's always also very like very interesting to find out like when he's talking about you know Megamorph and he's like, well, we originally designed an ability where it would cost four and it'd be a, a three three instead Morph. of a two two. Uh, like it's cool to know that stuff as a player and you think about what what could life you know what would it have been like right or how they came up with manifest and they're like, well, it plays really well with morph, but it's it's not the same thing. Is it overcomplicated? Like or there's no common dragon and dragons are here. Like all that stuff I think is really really cool. Well, I tried to put one in and everyone thought it was too weak, so I had to take it out. Because it made dragons too lame, so. Uh, so the one from the one from Fate Reforged, which they should have shifted over. Uh, that that might maybe would have been the right answer. I mean, I can see that being an improvement. But Cyan of Ugin for a while was seven and common. Interesting. So, oh, okay. So there, if somebody wants a dragon in their deck, that that sucker is certainly going to float around. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, that's, it's very weird for me to read that particular state of design article because there were a number of things that we. Uh, we didn't print that I pushed against and that we did do that I have different opinions from on than Mark Rosewater does. And, you know, that stuff is all water water under the bridge now. But reading it was definitely weird for me. There were times I was shaking my fist at, at the screen. So. I'm sure. Uh, quickly, before we do the full review of it, I just did want to ask you. Last time you were in here, we talked about uh, Modern Pro Tours and the problem with Modern yeah. Pro Tours. Um, now that you've played a season of competitive Modern as a player, no longer working for Wizards, yeah. and like you said, you've gotten familiar with the format, yeah. do you feel that your stance is different now? Or do you think that it's the same as it was before? I think it's the same as it was before. Every time there's a, a Grand Prix, things get pushed very far in just the new technology kind of directions. And that's totally fine, but I still think the Pro Tour is dangerous. Like, 
the modern that I've played at the local store level has been great and people seem to be enjoying themselves and they seem to want a lower rate of change in the format. So my instinct there is still that if the change to the standard rotation had been announced first, maybe we wouldn't be in this world. Maybe that's better for everybody. We're in the world that we live in. People really like watching modern and it was insane to me that so many people were like, they're killing modern. I'm selling all my cards. It's like, no, it's just, we're bad. That wasn't like at right. all what was going yeah. on. But so we're in the world that we're in, but I think we've signed up for a world where more cards get banned. So if people would rather have more cards getting banned, but have something to watch the pros playing with those cards, then, then I guess we all collectively made the right decision. <laughs> Fair enough. I, that's not my decision to make. It's kind of Wizards' decision and it's kind of everyone's decision. But I believe that is the path we have walked down and I have all the cards already and I can absorb bannings and whatever, so it's fine. I'll, I'll live. My one comment on that article is he, Morrow referred to it as a 7 out of 10 as far as the year went, and I personally think it was a 9 out of 10 because after him saying that, I looked back at previous sets over the last, like, decade and i think it might be my favorite set since i started playing again and probably since ravnica looking back or favorite cons or the block block. cons block yeah yeah yeah. set wise there are better possibly better sets or comparable sets but as a full block swing if you go back year to year like i did not like theros block for a few reasons nor did i um and but if you go to return to ravnica block there were issues with you know the speed of gate crash or the wonkiness of Dragon Maze. If you go back uh, to Innistrad Block, Avacyn Restored is a, a kind of a big... People hate that set. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you go beyond that, you go into, you know, Scars of Mirrodin Block, which early on had more detractors and they kind of fell into New Phryxia, which everyone loved. And then if you go to Zendikar Block, Zendikar is a weird block. It might be the closest, but part of the issue is that I think Zendikar has, and I have this problem, I love Zendikar, but it's also rose-colored glasses because that was the first limited format I ever won of mm. anything in because sure. it was the first one I really played in. Right. But, you know, looking back, I'm not surprised. Like, oh, wait, that was, like, hyper-aggressive to probably a problem. Like, one of the colors was just blatantly unplayable in the format. Like, there are a lot of issues limited. It just was really cool because magic and I'm learning. <laughs> I, I would give design a 7 and development a 9, okay. I think, over the year. Everything was executed close to as well as it could possibly be executed on, in my opinion. I think there were just the what Mark was talking about was there were some flaws on what design put together for development to execute on. And I think that's where his number comes from. He also mentioned the two and a half thumbs theory on three sets, which is like a really funny way to put it, as he said. <laughs> right? Yep. The idea of anyway, never mind. <laughs> um, oh, well, so I guess, and part of that, and I guess that goes to the last thing I disagreed with is I. I think morph was one of the good things about the block. Um, I think that mega morph. 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 Okay. I think uh, my favorite mechanic of the year, and this is a year with Dell, which is up there with one of my favorite mechanics ever, was manifest. I think that was a, a really cool way of evolving that mechanic to a way that seems more usable in a any environment versus morph, where you have to kind of have an entire set or entire mechanic based around that mechanic existing. Um, I think Megamorph had the issue of it being named a very wonky thing, and do we mention last time how that happened? <laughs> yes, we did. That was um, uh, that was a thing I typed into a file around midnight on a Tuesday night when I had a playtest to make happen, and nobody could top it. So, <laughs> uh, um, I do agree that 
with Rosewater on this point that doing something a little bit more splashy and less mechanically working maybe was the correct answer. Or, I mean, I personally think doing Megamorph in Fate Reforged and Manifest in Dragons would have been the decision possibly just because Megamorph feels like, oh, they're bigger because they're like dinosaurs and we're in the past and things are bigger. Right. Blah, blah, blah. The part that I think is underrated is that I felt that it was important that the Megamorphs and the Morphs be indistinguishable from one another in play. Right. I think it adds a lot that your face-down den protector could be a Rattleclaw Mystic. So I fought very hard that, like, it still needs to be all three three mana tutus because otherwise the promise of the mystery of Morph is just not going to be as realized. So I stand behind where that ended up. I understand that the naming thing was a problem, but as far as the actual execution of the mechanic, I never saw Megamorph as a piece of the set that was meant to be ex- load-bearing in terms of the excitement. Right. To me, that was about just the bread-and-butter gameplay and is standard cool when there's a bunch of face-down stuff happening. I, I'm i personally, on the development side, I think that I did a reasonable job of building those things for Limited, and I think Dave Humphreys, when he built a lot of the constructed Megamorphs, just knocked it out of the park. I think that those are all in fantastic places. I was going to say, I, I think... Uh, Morph is an awesome mechanic, and I also like the way that it interplays with Manifest a lot. Megamorph I wasn't the biggest fan of, but the biggest problem that I see with those cards is that in my head as a brewer, in all formats, it's like, okay, with Morph, you're going to give me something for three colorless, and it's always going to be three colorless, unless I have a dream chisel or whatever. Sure. Right? And maybe I'll get a cheaper unmorph cost because you're adding three to my initial cost to get what I want out of it, so maybe I'll get a really cool payoff. For the most part with Megamorph, because it had the counter on it, the unmorph cost was only interesting to me if it was like rare or mythic rare because sure. you were never going to give me a common or an uncommon megamorph card where for an efficient mana cost I was going to get anything good it was always just going to be like the one one counter made it more expensive and that was what it was sure so unless like as a as a creative brewer I just look at a lot of those cards and when I go through my database of deck building I just skip over them because they just aren't going to qualify they're really great in standard sometimes and they're very fun for limited but as like all-time magic cards, they're difficult. Yep. Three mana two twos are definitely tough to make happen. I think it worked out in standard very well. Like I played against in some standard PPTQs a uh, crazy morph deck that had like the I forget what the enchantment is called. You're talking about the one that makes it the the one mana enchantment that makes morphs yeah. one less to play. Uh-huh. Like that was that was a scary one because it's like is that a hidden dragon slayer? Is that a a stratus dancer? Is it a den protector? Did he just put a Death Mister after down to, to mess yeah. with me. Like that was a pretty cool match and that that was the kind of thing that I think Dave really wanted to happen. And yeah, it's just a question of like where where are people looking to have like the really distinctive things happen? And I can see where people would want to look at Megamorph there, and I feel like it mostly worked. And maybe it was just the name that was bad, but I think that when I see it, the issue for me is that I go, okay, to get the payoff, I have to spend three up front and then unmorph this. Or I have to pay for an expensive creature because that's the point of the card. Yeah, I. So they have to be played in one way. Yeah, it's. I can see how that would be unappealing, but I feel like it did work. And as soon as we tie ourselves to three mana two twos, we're kind of in the world. Yeah, that, that you're in. And so. It's just one set, so and, it is what it is. I guess that was my point on manifest over Megamorph, and I I actually don't dislike Megamorph as a mechanic. I just yeah. think it being a focus of a small set like Fate Reforge works a little bit more for me versus something like Manifest, which I think. 
and we can argue how deep it is, but at least it has the ability to be like very exciting. That is a, a brand new way that we have two twos that are face down on, in yep. play, where Megamorph is like a lot of Megamorph doesn't work that differently than Morph creatures. In fact, you could have all of those cards say Morph, and then just also have when you unmorph this, they get plus one plus one. Well, uh, well that, that was what I had, and then right. it was like, well, we can save a lot of room on the cards if we just make it a new ability, like. So all you have to write uh, on the in the reminder text to get it done is like with a plus one plus one counter on it or some oh, I forget exactly right, right. what it is but like you save a ton of words yeah so there was no way we were going to print those cards with like the line of text on every text. single right, right, right. right. Well, and that's why you keyword thing that's like yeah. the original reason you keyword things is oh right. it saves a ton of space reach yep. exists because it's a lot easier to say flying and reach versus flying and creatures that say they can block flying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's move. Let's actually go into the sets. So cons, the first, the first set of the, the cons block year brought back, you know, introduced wedges, brought back, um, fetch lands, introduced, brought back delve, introduced yeah, a the, bunch of powerful cards to every format. I mean, th this being a, a modern podcast, like the, the, the fetch lands getting them into modern was actually a thing that, I was yelling and screaming about for a while inside at Wizards. So it just really bothered me that there was preference in what fetch lands you could have in your deck to enemy color decks. It felt like such a baseline piece of the format to me that I really was looking for a, a way to get the the allied the, color the, the allied color fetch lands in there. And uh, I guess now we've talked, we've seen enough about Zendikar that. It's nice that the uh, Fetchlands will be there for a brief period of time so the Zendikar cards can look pretty cool. and So that, that'll be a cool thing. I think it wasn't great that the Zendikar Fetchlands were along with all the Landfall cards last time. but Right. Uh, so I guess I do have a question on this, and if we can't talk about it, that's fine. Um, uh, would you say that uh, one of the reasons that you guys printed... Or at least you had this in mind when you were printing the Fetchlands, uh, the allied Fetchlands, that the intent was kind of to hit like seven birds with one stone by making mana bases more accessible to new players in the modern, making uh, fetch lands in general a little bit more accessible while also giving players the correct amount of choices to kind of pick what mana base is best for their deck. On top of all that, Cons of Tarkir being a new, a totally new world was a little bit scary for, for the company to, to look at. So having something in there that was just a surefire shot to, to help things move along if something went horribly wrong was also appealing. So there was even a bird you didn't mention there. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. many birds. So um, many birds. Yeah, and that's kind of also how Zendikar worked. I mean, it, they also fit on Zendikar, but with Zendikar, at least the Wizards have said this many times, there was a fear that the Land Matters set isn't going to be exciting enough. And by right. putting fetches in there, you helped that along to a certain extent. It's a really powerful bullet, it turns out. So uh, <laughs> the, expect that to get fired not very often and when when the world really needs it. But uh, yeah, but yeah. So that that was a big deal. But I feel like this being a modern podcast and like looking at the uh, bands that happened after Cons of Tarkir, we should really talk about Delve. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was, so I was just gonna say, I find this really interesting. So I've done I don't know how many episodes with you now, thirty some odd episodes of this podcast. Been on it for like eight, seven or eight months. And historically, I was always a limited player, like always up until two years ago. I got pretty into modern. Now, I really have shifted towards modern since we've started doing this podcast and in turn have found that I have less time for limited. So I'm looking at this list here that we have of what's happened over the last year. And this block is insane for modern. Like 
the way that we perceive modern, like the way that we like talk about it and all the relevant things that have happened, so many of them came out of Khan's block. And even just Khan's of Tarkir, I mean, just like as, as it's written here, I mean... Prowess, Delve Spells, Fetchlands, uh, Siege Rhino, Ascendancy, Soren, Swift Ascendancy. Spear. Yeah, I mean, all the... Yeah, it's just, just nuts. I mean, that's like really very, very, very I effective. Think in the, for sure in the history of the format, this is the only set where cards were printed and banned between it getting printed and the next Pro Tour. <laughs> yeah, Delve is... Delve's a funny thing, because I feel like Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise just about perfectly hit their mark in standard. Right. And then we're completely insane in, in every other format. In other formats, which is unfortunate, but in some ways... Fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, in some ways it's fine. So... Well, it's, yeah. I mean, we Wizards have said it, and we've said it, and I mean, the focus for development is standard and, right. and, and draft, so if you need to ban a card, fine. It, it's better that the format in the actual standard block is super fun and playable, and it has been all year... So, success. Yeah, I mean, almost all the Delve spells were totally playable and great in all formats. It just happened to be that, wouldn't you know it, the draw card blue ones, (laughs) as is so often the case in Magic's history. I mean, even Angler and Tassiger, though, have been very good in modern and even some older formats to a certain extent. But they're not unfair cards, whereas, like, Cruise and Dig. Well, one of them is is a power nine, and the other one is just as good yeah, right so but then and, and and conversely you have prowess which is now evergreen which is very cool um and and prowess was prowess was great i mean prowess i remember like reading the first card that was spoiled which was i think the the draw card one was it the the um shadow mage Jennifer shader prowess guy that was the that was the first first one that spoiled wasn't it was Pr- it prowess when it does damage to a player draw card that yeah. was first spoiled from Origins from Origins. That was yeah. the first prowess card spoiled for Origin. It's not in cons. What, what's the first? Wasn't the cons card that got spoiled? It was a prowess card. It was a blue card. It was the old lady that when she dies, you draw a card. Oh, I maybe, think. Oh, maybe that may be right. Anyway, whatever it was. No, I don't know. I, whatever the so first prowess card <laughs> I read was, I can remember reading the card and thinking to myself, "That's interesting." But like, how often am I going to have enough mana to get a lot of value out of that? And then like, obviously that was just like totally the wrong way to look at it. And I'm super excited about this actually on the podcast. When we did a review with Glenn Jones, I literally said Swift Spear is like almost as good, if not better than Goblin Guide. And I was laughed out of the room. People said I was wrong. Ha <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't here to laugh at you, but I'm sure I would have. Yeah. Look at the world now. Well, when we did actually shortly thereafter, we did top, we did top red cards in modern. And it was right after that card was getting prominent, and I didn't include it in my top ten. Oh right, and yeah. you did. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. I don't know if you're right about that. I don't think it's that good, and I was definitely wrong. And, <laughs> and now we have. Around. I mean, we'll get to it a little bit later. But mentor is also just knocking down vintage, and that's a format where you have to be pretty good or slash panther to see play in the yeah. format. Yeah, prowess is good. <laughs> <laughs> so ascendancy, uh, you know, fetches Rhino, Soren, Swift Spear, but Ascendancy was an interesting one because there was a brief moment there where the world needed it to be banned immediately. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the end, though, Ascendancy, I think we've discovered, is just not the problem. The problem was the disgusting Del blue card. Yeah, yeah. Treasure Cruise was the problem. Those, those were the only reason that that was a thing. And that, you know, that's that's even a thing in Legacy still these days. I've, I see Sam Black messing around with that stuff with like four Mental Note, four Thought Scour, and trying to make things like that happen. But... Uh, yeah, it's just the Delve cards are crazy. And right. when, when you can look at a million cards in your deck that quickly, whatever the f- best way to kill people is going to be, you'll find it. Right. And it turns out that if you're milling yourself a lot, 
Fate Stitcher, Jeskai Ascendancy is a pretty good way to do that. Right. So. I mean, we talked about this with, with, with Patrick Chapin last week. I was like, well, when Thought Scour becomes Cancer of Dark Ritual, you know you have a problem. Like, <laughs> that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yep. I, and I do think, and we said this last week also, but or two weeks ago, I do think that I, Delve as a mechanic is great. I think when you attach it to cards that also help you fill the next Delve spells is when it starts becoming more of a problem. Hmm. Um, crazy. So, and I guess you know, Siege Rhino. Siege, yeah. Who? No one's gonna play that card. It's just a big, dirtily Rhino. Four, I was love when four. I love it when cards like Rhino take a solid month or five, six weeks to catch on. Like that, it didn't catch on modern immediately. It took a second. Like people were like, "Yeah, that card's pretty sweet." I mean, it's it's powerful. And then like now, it's just a staple four of. Like how how does something as simple? It's not the card's not complicated. It's, it's a four five for four that that helixes and tramples. That's it. Like you look at that, it is evaluated the same when it's printed as it is now. But it took almost six weeks before modern players were writing articles talking about it and saying this is what we should be playing. This is a four of. It was like I'll put it as a two of. I just find the card evaluation process to be fascinating, especially when the card is just it's good on rate. It's just a creature. Yeah, it's just a dude. But it still takes us long enough to figure it out. I mean, that's that's the magic of putting enough different knobs and parameters on these cards. Like, you know, if I wonder sometimes, like, if that had been two life instead of three life, as it very well could have ended up, like, would we think of it the same way that we do in modern? Probably not. Like, I think in modern it needs that third life drain. In standard, it probably didn't. But, you know, the world we live in might be better because of that. Maybe. I think if it was two and two, it honestly would have been 96% as popular because half of the reason that card is so good is because it's five toughness. Uh, it's it's a, it's a four or five. It's just good. Because well, it, it, it can kind of get in fights with Tarmogoyf yeah. most of the time. Not yeah. all the time, but most of the time, unless you're playing Bitter Blossom, but most of the time, yeah. <laughs> it definitely is like just a roadblock to every creature in the format that doesn't fly, and most of the creatures in the format that fly kill you instantly anyways, but conveniently, and it Lingering tra- Souls is in the same deck. Well, and it tramples too, and like modern by nature is a format where efficiency is king, and often efficiency will be fragile creatures that do good things, or yeah. efficiently costed one ones that you can get out, like you just poop them out. And four or five tramplers match up very well with creatures like that. Yeah. certainly does. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, you know, small things. I do think Soren was an upgrade to the other Soren and Black White Tokens. Not really a deck that's doing super, super well, though people definitely play it. Um, but moving on to Fate, Ref- or I guess the Bannings. Yeah, yeah, this was a big one. Uh, I definitely remember we talked about this before they happened, and we discussed, I don't know who, I can't remember who predicted. Did you predict all three? Uh, I said this was likely. I said it's possible Jeskai Sentency was seeing ba- uh, going to see a yeah. ban, and I argued pretty heavily for uh, Dig Through Time not being banned. That was I was um, on the same. I was on the same one as you. Just with that. from that perspective of Treasure Cruise is obviously a problem for all the reasons, but maybe Dig Through Time is the card needed to kind of make the format have some type of good card selection. Yeah. Um, I was wrong based off of how Legacy is currently shaping up, I think. But um, I do think this was pretty much what everyone ex- was expecting to happen. I did I did say Birthing Pod had to go, partly because, and from my perspective, if they just banned the cards from cons, the format just became exactly what it was right, pre-cons, sure. and that wasn't that's not an exciting pro tour, and that's why they banned the cards. So if you want the excitement, you have to get rid of a, a pillar, or at least the degenerate pillar, and that was Birthing Pod. And then the unbanning of Troll and how little of an impact it ended up having 
and kind of it's the same thing as the unbanging of bitter blossom and how little of an impact it ended up having you have to start to wonder about that i mean not to say that they weren't impactful yeah but they were banned in the first place so when a card is banned in the first place you're assuming that this card would be really broken and unfair and have a huge impact or that if it were good it would be a pr problem which is what we we mentioned before like we didn't want fairies to be the the hot thing to do in modern and if you blow up bitter blossom that can't be the pr note that your format starts on but i guess my point is neither of those when we talk about the top decks in modern i i don't go grave troll and bitter blossom are staples in four of the top 10 decks yeah i i do think part of that is frame of reference i think grave troll was more of a pr thing and the cards that surround it that are really dangerous aren't are still banned um but i think with bitter blossom while Modern was printed, uh, Abrupt Decay didn't exist. That's true. And Abrupt Decay is the answer to Bitter Blossom. And in a format like the how we have now, where Abrupt Decay is the premier removal spell, or at least third place for premier removal spell, you have less of a danger of Bitter Blossom becoming the only thing in the format. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I, I'd say that those unbans clearly opened up some space. I play against... Grave Troll and Bitter Blossom and maybe about one in 30 matches each in, on Magic Online that I play, and that's that's not nothing. So. That's healthy, though. That's cool. They're yeah. cool cards. I think we should do an episode at some point where we go we go through the ban list, and we do five minutes hypothetically on what would happen and what would exist with each unbanning, and I think we should just... I mean, some of them would be obvious, like Skull Clamp you're not going to really harp on, but I think it would be an interesting episode to go through and look at all the cards and, and, and what that really looks like. We've, we've previously done why cards are banned, I think, on the podcast, yeah. but that might have been with Glenn, because... That's a quick thing, an easy, low-hanging fruit to do on a modern podcast. And it was like a year ago. <laughs> and it was like a year ago. So, yeah, I, no. I do think to do that, especially once Zendikar comes out. Uh, all right, moving on. <laughs> um, Fate Reforged, or Pro Tour Fate Reforged, more importantly. So this was the only modern Pro Tour this last year. Um, in my notes, I have that the top eight was pretty much blatantly um, Burn, um, Splitter Twin, Amulet, and Abzan, and like that's right. Now I remember, yeah. There was like two of each of those decks with like a, a third. I think Abzan there was a th- deck, yeah, that was more Birthing Pod with Whitley Fleege that has now become uh, Coco. <laughs> right. Was this the one that Justin Cohen got second? Yes. Playing yeah. Bloom. That's right. Yep. Correct. This is this is the the big thing about this is that I guess the two big things. One is this is where Bloom came from. Bloom had been around for a long time, but this was the one where it was like, hey guys, this is a legit deck. And then the next tournament was the GP the next week, and it was like, oh, it's still really good. Yeah, but then there was a lot of controversy over the next six months with Bloom because there was the cheating accusation that happened with the palming of the cards, and one of the top finishing players at a high level was accused of cheating. So then there was a lot of controversy. Is this deck actually good, or is one of the top finishing players making it good by palming cards? So I think it swung back around. Justin Cohen and Sam Black are both 100% clean. Yeah, I I know them both very well, and I, I believe that they honestly think that it's a great angle shot for modern and there are tons and tons of great angle shots there and when i say angle shot what i mean is like a weird deck that might be under the radar and that the wrong hate cards are out there for i think we're at this we're at a point now where amulet bloom is no longer a great angle shot because there are tons of blood moons around but to me the lesson of this pro tour is that if you want to compete in modern with the best players in the world and you're not one of the best players in the world there are a bunch of really dumb things you can try to do to just beat them without actually interacting with them. And that's exactly what Justin Cohen will tell you he did. He's just like, I took the right stupid deck and it worked out and I won 20K. 
And he said, like, I, I need to become better at magic now that I actually have to play magic with these people. But that weekend, he did not really play a lot of magic with these people. It was a solitary people. magic. Yeah, it is, it is really interesting. I always love that when you see Pro Tours happen and you see on camera some super weird thing that you haven't seen before. I, I still remember the first, I think, I think it had to have been um, Pro Tour Return of Ravnica when Jerry T and those guys played the Niv Magus Elemental deck. Yeah. And just like it was like the first match of the day. And I think like David Ochoa was playing Jund when Jund was the thing. Right. And I think it was Brad Nelson on camera playing Niv Magus Elemental. And it, we're all just watching it being like, have What's they figured something here? out? And he just goes all in, and it's like he's going for like 18, and it's just like removal spell, and it's like game over. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, since then, we saw like the the Gristlebrand uh, yeah. Nourishing Shoal deck, and that's another one where it's just, here's an angle shot. It's in the format. Gorio's Vengeance is doing something. If you think that's the shot to take, you know, take it, and Bob Huang's friend gets to X and two and yeah. Bob gets to like make thousands of dollars off of buying nourishing shoals for nothing or whatever. But you know, the, that stuff's out there. It's awesome though. That's the be- to me. That is the single most awesome thing in modern is that that's possible that there are stacks of these weird cards, these weird interactions that have existed and people just aren't willing for the most part to try them out. Yeah. Um, By the way, if, if I was to give a recommendation on which one of these decks to pick for, uh, the World Magic Cup qualifier, I would probably pick that uh, Goro's Vengeance Grizzlebrand deck. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've It's of the decks that people are like, oh, no, we need the banned cards that I've played against over the last summer. It's the one where I'm like, I I don't know. I they, don't know what to do That might be true. <laughs> like, I, I've, I've, you play against that thing, you just can't tap out as yeah. soon as there's a Grizzlebrand in the graveyard. I'm, it, I'm terrified of that deck. Yeah, I'm terrified right now. I'll be terrified about it tomorrow. And if you are thinking, oh, I need this deck just to spike a thing, that would be the deck. But yeah, that, that Pro play. Tour wasn't about Bloom. That was just about, like, be afraid of all times, of at all, all times, things. of anything, <laughs> because God knows what somebody could pull out on you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's super, super awesome. I definitely remember watching all those matches. I think I watched the whole the entire Top 8 live. Yep. Um, that was a good one. So, Fate Reforged. Um, I do think with Fate Reforged, the the two the the three the two real major things because Mentor came out, but it hasn't really done anything in Modern. But for Modern, the Delve Creatures, where Cons was really much very much about the Delve spells, Delve Creatures kind of showed up and was like, "Hey, those Delve spells, they were good. We're we're also good, and those those are banned now. So you should might as well just play us." Yeah. And uh, Ugin Ugin showed up. He's a big dragon. He made Tron the tier. 1.5 deck that it, it is cemented as now even with hate in the field and yeah that's the modern we live in yet another reason i think modern is so sweet you print an eight mana planeswalker and the modern format has a deck that fully embraces it and it's just that's what makes the format so cool if you if you it's hard to imagine a powerful card being printed that there's not a deck in modern that can find a way to take advantage of do you know what i mean no yeah. matter what no matter how expensive how wonky as long as it's powerful enough there's a deck in modern that's going to try to play it yeah i definitely enjoy that things like Ugin and Monastery Mentor that they're there and often it takes a while for them to stick. Like I didn't play against my first Monastery Mentor in Modern until the PPTQ that I just won. I played against it in the top four and I didn't really know what to do, but there wasn't a card in his deck that was bad. So I played a hell of a match and I feel like I got kind of lucky to escape with game one. What does the Mentor deck do? I mean, do you... Uh, actually, I think I just deleted my notes from that tournament from my phone earlier, which is unfortunate, or I'd look. He had mentors, he had thought scours, he had some delve guys, he had path, he had snapcaster, Liliana, Sorin, just some stuff. Good Esper sure. cards. Yeah, it was just good Esper <laughs> cards, basically, and 
you know, I, I was lucky in game one that he didn't draw a lot of interaction, so I was able to twin combo him when the game was going south for me. And then in game two, he had a rough mana draw at the beginning, so I was able to Blood Moon him out of white mana, and then he kind of sat there doing nothing. So Blood it was Moon's kind of a dumb match, but, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, his deck seemed sweet. I have no idea how good it is, but like I said, all the cards were good, and I... Well, I was nervous that whole time. Here, so. Here's a non-sequitur question that relates to competitive magic play. Is it sweeter to see an awesome opening in modern, like, say, two or three lands and, like, four or five of your best spells? Or is it sweeter in game two to have two lands, five spells, but one of them is the high-impact sideboard card that you've sideboarded in? Which one gives you the bigger, like, fist pump moment? I mean, it's obviously the second thing. <laughs> is it? Because, like, oh, yeah, yeah. the odds on the second one are, like... Because the first one would be like, oh, these are great, but his hand could be great. The, right. the second one's like, oh, these cards are great, and I have an I automatically win card here that if I play it, I automatically win. <laughs> it just yeah. makes you feel safe. I, that's the, <laughs> always fine. You see it, you just you just like, ah. And then like the, the the crazy thing is like, let's just say it's Stony Silence. You play it on turn two against Affinity, right? And then they like blow it up. They have they've si- they've sideboarded correctly. You're just just such a tilt. It's such a tilt. <laughs> uh, I I enjoy those games too. I, I don't enjoy the. It's tough because I like winning a lot, but I also like playing tough interactive games of Magic. Yeah. So I'm always like fighting with myself about how I want that to go. I play four main deck spell skites in modern, so I just get the main deck feeling of most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So uh, on Fate Reforged, do you have any cool, interesting stories of like how that kind of went about being made that you want to talk about or can talk about? I mean, the thing about Fate Reforged from a design perspective is that when you put such a crazy draft structure on it, That means that a lot of the effort of the execution is put on making this weird restriction work, and that's work that can't go into just making sure that the cards are are the way that you want them to be. So it kind of, from an artistic perspective on on development, it was frustrating because I felt like there were extra conditions put on us that in some ways hurt our ability to execute, and... I'll never know whether the crazy draft structure provided enough benefits to make up for the loss in final card execution that okay. I think we experienced because of that. I mean, I have no idea how to value that stuff. Right, right. And that is, in the end, that gets to be a fight between Mark Rosewater, Eric Lauer, and Aaron Forsyth as like the director and the two guys who have to right, make right, all the right. cards. I know for me as a player, I'd rather have the well-tuned cards and not the weird draft environment, but I'm just one guy. So, I mean, that's that's the debate there. I mean, there definitely is a little bit of an argument that the the point that this year loses or some of the points that this year loses comes from the Konzatark here, which is maybe one of the better draft formats ever, plus Fate Reforged combined draft format, which is definitely, from a lot of perspective people I've talked to, one of their least favorite draft formats they played this last year. I have one I wanted to ask. So this is referred to as a pivot set. This is like yeah. you read it, they call it a pivot set. Can you explain really quickly what that is? Yeah, so the idea was that you would have a, a small set in between two large sets, and that small set would play well with both of the large sets, which means a couple of things. One, it means that you have a, a hell of a task designing that center set to play well in both directions, and it also means that you're building a large set with a small set in mind later on, And I think that costs were paid both in terms of making Fate Reforged work in both directions and with Dragons making it work with what was already done. I know that early on in Dragons of Tarkir development, we drafted Triple Dragons because Fate Reforged was very up in the air. And I think very fondly of the world of of Triple Dragons of Tarkir that no one other than like my team knew. 
And who knows if that would have been better. Like I said, the fun of the draft format being this way was maybe totally worth it. I know for me it wasn't. In the aggregate, it very well could have been. And I know I I, I was I had some headaches trying to go back to make Fate Reforged work, and so did Dave Humphreys. But in the end, we have we had a fine year of Magic cards, and it's really hard for me to be like, see, the problem was this because <laughs> it was all really good. Right, right, right. Overall, it's, I think it, that it, there's a lot of nitpicking that can be done from what I just said. Was I think this is a nine? Yeah. Versus like, and I don't think I can say that. For the last, since I started playing Magic, which is saying a lot for this set yeah. and, and year. Um, so, Dragons. Yeah, this was the most exciting of the three for me personally, and that's probably because I love Collected Company and the Commands so much. Even though I didn't really particularly like Megamorph, I just love Collected Company and at least three of the Commands I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, I think I think Dave Humphreys did an absolutely phenomenal job with the on a card-by-card level with making Dragons of Tarkir great for Constructed. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the Megamorph stuff hitting in Standard, I think, is really cool. And then the fact that there are so many just standout individual cards in Modern is great. And none of them are oppressive or bad. They're all just interesting and add new angles, and it's it's sweet. I, I hope that one day I can be as good at him on a card-by-card level, because he is great, I think. I do think... So when the commands were spoiled, this is one of those things where every Magic player that has been playing for a few years and knows of the card Cryptic Command, we all were like, eventually there will be multicolor commands and it will yeah. be sweet. We all knew it was eventually going to come. So when this happened, I think everybody was pretty excited, right? I know yeah. I know we were. We talked about it. But Company was a card that was extremely underrated at first. And I don't think many people... I, I know we talked about it. I'm pretty sure we talked about it as, as an option. I, I, there's definitely a bunch of reviews that were like, this card seems like it could be great. Maybe. <laughs> nobody was like nobody was like this is going to become a staple in the format sure it's extremely valuable the fact that it plays at instant speed is incredible it interacts with so many different strategies i think it's really fun which is sort of in some ways to me that's a a weird thing about the card i think it's more fun than it is powerful even though it is very powerful i think that the fun of it is part of what pushes it over the edge yeah and you know you got like the spin the wheel thing going on yeah and, and it's like, what's going to happen? I've, I've seen collected company decks with allies pop up on Magic Online lately yeah. for some reason, which is weird. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with it, but I've felt when I've played against collected company decks, the ones that scare me are the ones that are up to really stupid things. Right. And specifically the elf deck the elf is deck, yeah. terrifying in terms of what collected company can be doing. But I, the, the decks that play collected company just for value, I kind of am suspicious of the longevity of that. I think they're fun and I think they're close to powerful enough, but I think it might be more of in a space worth like scapeshift or whatever, sure. where it's a thing that will pop and then it will be at a low level, but it doesn't feel to me like it's in the same power band as some of the other things. I, th- I think the big reasoning for that would imagine it still being relevant going forward is it does make the value control decks the Abzan Jun matchups miserable. Like it is oh, yeah. the trump card. Like that's the that's the deck I'm the least excited to play against. Uh especially like the Kitchen Fink Miliar combo versions, because it's like I none of my cards do uh, how do I beat that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like everything you do, you're like, oh I I thought seized you out and I'm good. And Liliana's saving the day for me. And then they like top deck, collect a company, and then against your Liliana trigger, they like flash it and you're like <gasps> No. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, it's right. So that's that's definitely one of the parts about it that I think is so awesome. It's a green card that allows you to. It's a green card that allows you to pass the turn and fool your 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 nasty grinding opponent into thinking that they're going to get you, 
and you get to do something creature-based that's not slow and clunky. Yeah, to be totally clear, I think the card is phenomenal, and I'm really glad it exists. It's just not a card that I'm likely to register in my 75 when I play Modern. I think so. your point <laughs> of it being fun, though, is is a that's a great point, because it's it's competitive and powerful enough while still being a lot of fun. I mean, I also, yeah. and I've said this on, on the podcast before, but any time in design there are certain things that are referenced, specifically, in my opinion, uh, general casting cost, like converted casting cost being referenced as a condition for a card for, for like a creature, say it's like reanimating it or something like that. I always find that interesting because there's magic history is littered with undercosted creatures yeah. that have weird wonky costs, yep. you know, and that's really cool because most of the time those cards suck and they're very hard to use. Yep. And every person that saw it was like scab ruinator is a thing now, or like I can do something with my mere superior. I mean, so yep. command is the same way with the two casting costs. That's very exciting stuff. And yep. I think from a design standpoint, that's, that's always really cool to do. I had a death shadow unearthed against me with a varls once recently. Okay, so awesome. like that's, that's, that's another one oh, of those yeah, things. That's always awesome. <laughs> one thing that you don't have written down for dragons that I think is particularly interesting is that all the, some of the sickest cards from dragons are all instants. So to me, for like looking at the format from a blue perspective, dragons was really the coming out party for dispel. I think. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree with that. Dispel has been on a, a really huge upswing, and I think a lot of it is because there are a ton of commands out there now. There's collected company. All the decks that dispel had a hole against before now are playing a they big are now playing target yeah. sick instance. So when you guys were talking about Colgan's command, um, was was Snapcaster like discussed? Was were people like? this is a thing and this is going to be real and we have to be very aware of this before pulling the trigger? Uh, I think the conversation was, wow, that's probably really good with Snapcaster. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of Colgan's command, because this is something when we kind of alluded to maybe talking about this on a future episode, but yeah. um, I've always said, especially since Siege Rhino showed up in the format, I've definitely always said that Bloodbraid Elf is probably one of the cards that should be unbanned coming soon. I... I've slowly been maybe being resistant to that idea purely off of the back of Colgan's command existing. Oh my god, it would be so gross. <laughs> be a good one. Because I mean it's basically just light blightning, blood bread blightning or what that was, but just way more dangerous. <laughs> well, yeah. So the the way that I think we it is most useful to think about that is like Bloodbraid Elf is like essentially a junk card in a lot of ways. Correct. Uh, and right now, you can totally win a tournament playing Junt. So if if I'm in wizard seat and I'm looking at that, I'm looking at Bloodbraid Elf as a tool for when mid-range decks somehow aren't good enough. But right now, you can certainly play Lightning Bolt, Tarmogoyf, and Liliana, and you don't need Bloodbraid Elf's help. So right. They're all pretty pretty good cards. Well, and, and that's <laughs> why I think kind of Colgan's Command did. I think if Colgan's Command didn't exist and the world was and that world existed six months ago, right. that world was Abzan is the only mid-range deck you should be playing. Sure. And so Bloodbraid Elf being unbanned would have added a significant amount of diversity because then there's at least a choice between right. what's better, free value from in a hasty 3-2 or, or the a 4-5 and, and a light uh, a helix to the face. Right. Um, now that's not true because now there's actually like a very relevant decision already you have to make. What's better, call against right. Command and Lightning Bolt or Lingering Souls and Rhino? And, and they're both respectable decisions, yeah. which is super cool. Yeah, that is no, that is really interesting, and and it's it's more and more. You guys say you don't design for modern, you say you design for standard, but it's always nice when it feels like a card is perfect for modern. Like it's, I've said it and I'll say it again. I just genuinely genuinely think the Siege Rhino represents what modern is all about. That card is. That's that is like what the format is to me. It's cards that are powerful enough to justify it for mana that fit comfortably into a mid range deck, 
uh, and can make a creature player feel comfortable playing them. And that's yeah. that's perfect. That's what you want. I mean, in the way that Splinter Twin is the ideal combo deck for Modern, that you play a do-nothing four-mana sorcery speed card, and no, that's what... It shocks you and, and buys you time if they're aggressive. and <laughs> Do nothing. Yeah, I mean, but that's what you're winning with. Do nothing. That's how a combo deck wins versus, like, you know, the the nail in the coffin from a mid-range deck is this four-mana creature. So, anyway, I think yeah. that's really cool. Uh, one last thing on Colgan's Command before we move on to uh, more origin things. Um, I, I also think one of the beauties of that card is... And I'd mentioned this with Dig Through Time. I did think Control needed some form of card advantage. And, like, Control wasn't very playable for years um, in Modern. And that's because a lot of the card advantage engines that would make Control more playable are banned because they'd make Combo way too good. Uh, specifically, probably Splinter Twin way too good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Colgan's Command does that in a lot of ways because it offers the card advantage engine slash draw spell slash selection spell if you want to refer to getting yeah. cards from your graveyard as selection oh, yeah. without allowing combo decks to dig for the pieces they need to win which is what every other banned combo or card draw engine that's banned right now would just accomplish yeah. like the world everyone's like oh we can unban um, ancestral visions it'll be fine and then <laughs> like I'm like Except that if you play that on turn one, Splinter Twin auto wins every single turn four for the yeah. rest of the history of the format. I, I think one thing when you talk about, and, and I do want to move on to Origins, so this will be the last thing I say about it, but you mentioned that control became viable in a lot of ways with Colgon's Command. I found what Chapin said last week about the Grixis deck that he popularized very interesting. That he said a traditional control deck is this deck that plays a bunch of two for ones and then, or a, a plays a bunch of one for ones and then generally wins with a Haymaker, like a Sphinx's Revelation or something like that. And he was like, this deck is almost more aggro control because modern is a format where it's very hard to get away with a card like Sphinx's Revelation. There isn't, it's not really a format that's conducive to that. Even when yeah. Cryptic Command is slow, and he loves that card, he's been cutting his numbers down. He's like, yep. you're playing a bunch of you're playing a bunch of efficient, snowballed, high efficiency but low impact kind of two for ones and Snapcaster Mage. He's yes. like, you're playing Electrolyze, you're playing Colagon's Command, you're playing Snapcaster, and that's what this deck is about. And, and in a lot of ways, aggro control in modern is kind of control in modern like a real control deck blue white red which was efficient spells for the most part is not as effective as this other one which succeeds well, even, because even blue white, command even blue white red was burn i mean if for the you most really part, want to look yeah. at it it yeah. just was a a burn plan that took a while but it, it was burning them out and yeah. like even like i would say there's been control decks in the format for a while but they were either mid-range decks yeah. or their uh scape shift where it's like it's a control deck it just has that one card that insta wins as long as you tap out incorrectly splinter twin is the same thing as scape shift right in, in a strategic point of view I yeah think. yeah so. it, it is just interesting that colagon's command when it was printed it wasn't nobody went crazy it took it took a bit of time and that card is almost single-handedly responsible for control existing in modern now and that's very cool so let's move on to origins all right so Modern Origins. Modern Origins. Well, yeah, Modern Origins. <laughs> Harbinger of the Tides. That is Modern Origins right there. There's a, there's a lot, and I do think this is the hardest one to talk about, and I wouldn't be surprised if we talk about Magic Origins in the next. Yeah. Because there hasn't been a major modern tournament that I can think of since Magic Origins has well, come out. Good news. The WMCQ is happening, and then <laughs> Grand Prix Oklahoma City is, is the coming week after, right, right after that. Yeah. So we're going to see. I'd say look out for Jace. Jace looks to me like exactly the right profile of a card for a modern card. And it's, a, it's a two mana card that gains value and eventually can win the game by itself in the long run. It's extra Snapcaster. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is like compared to Snapcaster Mage, like that's there's a lot going on in that card that looks a lot like right. an amazing format staple already. Yeah, so very true. I mean, and people were 
people are still on the fence about that card. It's getting, it's definitely getting more discussion now than it was at the beginning. But at the beginning, a lot of people were like, this card is the one of the worst ones. It's not even... Well, it, the thing that really sold on to me is I played it against it in a multiplayer cube, which, like, it, a card that is not modern or better good shouldn't be good in that format because there's four people that all should be able to kill it and whatever it's doing shouldn't be gaining that much value. And it single-handedly won the player who played it, the game, by itself because it just, like, rebought Hero's Downfall ten times. And you're and that moment, I was like, that card is something that everyone should be keeping their eye on. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. It Did exiles, just, right? Does it exile? Or does it not exile? What? The card when you... It, it gains flashback, or is it you can play it without paying its mana cost? Sorry, it didn't get the same. It, it, removal spells. Okay, gotcha, yeah, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, 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 For a second there, I thought that maybe I had misread the card. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, you're right. That it would have been it totally did. nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, an Abbot, right? Abbot's definitely a card that's going to show up in Modern. That card's great. Yeah, I play, after playing Abbot at the Grand Prix in San Diego, I am confident that it will show up in Modern. I don't know where. There's not a deck that fits it right now. But people have been asking for, like, the red Snapcaster Mage or whatever, and... This guy, I think, is it. Let's try to figure out a deck that plays four Coiling Oracle, four Silver Galata, and four <laughs> uh, Abbot of Carol Keep. So moving on. And Ethervile, <laughs> and, and we're good. Um, but yeah. I do think, I think this, and I think what's interesting is there's been like a weird amount of the red two drops that are possible being printed because we have also have Eidolon of the Great Rebel, which I currently have of the opinion that that is that card. I think, yeah. I think. Something that has to happen here is over years it becomes more and more expensive. And Eidolon is a card that's going to be very hard to ever be reprinted because of just it's an enchantment creature and that is going to be a rarity. And on top of that, it like does something overtly powerful. And by being an enchantment creature, it's cool. Like that's something that a lot of the other two drops, I guess, don't have. Who knows? That's a modern master's card if I've ever seen one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you worked on Origins. That was the last set you worked on? I actually or? barely touched an Origins card. Okay. My, my contribution to Origins was convincing Sam Stoddard and uh, Sean Main that there should be golden commons in the set. Okay. That was that was pretty much all I did. Which, I I, I mean... It's exciting. Good, dis- good, good suggestion. Yeah, pe- pe- <laughs> people were having trouble finding their color combination in some of the early playtests, and it was just like... Here's a blunt instrument that works, like solve your problem and get to doing the rest of the stuff your set is up to because you've got bigger problems than this. Right. The, the green black elf that drains is awesome. That yeah. card's sweet. Well, I, I also think like that in general has been a tool that Wizards has been using now for the last two years almost that has yep. been successful almost every single time they used it. Cons had it. Every set has had that like in some way either two color or like one color and then an activation that's the other color card right. that definitely pushes people in a direction that makes those directions heavily yeah. playable and like a good card to kind of lead into. Yep, but that's that's all I did. I didn't even design <laughs> any of them. I was just like, here's a structural piece. And then I dropped the mic and ran off. Nice, so. good. And then somebody was like, I have this idea. I want to call it Hangerback Walker. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, that card's good. That card is, I don't know how I feel about that card yet. Very good. Um, all right, let's. Uh, it's the artifact two drop notes. Not let's. That driver. <laughs> yeah, we are running a bit short on time, so let's get to. Twitter. Yeah. Oh, right, let's. Uh, okay, so uh, we can speed it up. Uh, looking forward. Uh, 
Well I, well, I was going to say really quickly, just the last thing on that that I wanted to get to was the mulligan change, uh, which has now been confirmed. Oh, yeah. And that's a thing. That's a that's a real thing that got it like confirmed last week. I'm really happy with that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It seems it seems super, super, super um, forward thinking in terms of just making the gameplay for all parties involved in Magic better. Like, if this is something that had existed since the beginning, it wouldn't seem novel at all. It would just seem like it was definitely supposed to be a part of the game. So yep. the fact that it took 20 years to get to it, it's kind of a little crazy. So my my two feelings on it. One is the the only apprehension I have about it is it seems fine in tournament play, but I want to know how it affects teaching new players as just one more additional thing you have to teach people what what what's going on. Um, mind you, that could be a very minor thing that they have to learn, and even something you don't teach them the first ten times, and then you're like, oh, then there's also this other cool rule. They'll they'll hate you that one time you do it to them because they're like, right. oh, you just made that up. But then after that point on, they'll it'll it, it's very easy to learn and see how it works. It's just another thing you have to learn. I think its its benefits for tournament play will wildly outweigh that. Right. Yeah. It, it is interesting. Eric Wydat's friend of the podcast, who's the father of the uh, Highlander Roulette format, which in ten seconds is basically six decks, singleton. Every card that is in those decks has to be uh, have a have foil, a foil version in print, and you roll a six sider to see which the pair up is, okay. which you pair off with. Uh, it's non sanctioned, but it's super fun. And because they're hundred card singleton uh, and they're one on one games. We have a rule where you get a free Paris Mulligan. You can take it one free Mulligan, and then you have to start going to yeah. six. And the question became with this new rule, do we keep that rule, or do we implement the new Mulligan rule? And we elected to keep the free Paris Mulligan rule instead. So that is like an alternative option that already existed in one format that we decided is better than this, but I think it's probably because it's 100 cards. Well, so sure. this that's kind of interesting, because I've had very in-depth arguments about a similar subject, which is, so EDH, or Commander, which we don't talk about very normally, uh, check out the Commander podcast on rocketship.com, hosted <laughs> by Jimmy and Rocket, uh, Jimmy Zone. and Josh, called the Command Zone. <laughs> um, said that as fast as possible, because uh, we're running out of time. But the rule for that is also different than normal magic. It's called I, Partial Paris. I think that rule is crazy, and there's no way that's okay. But so, And I don't think that's good for 60-card debt, but yep. the argument I have is... Should they incorporate this alongside it in Commander, or should it just be what they have, or should they move to this? I'm on the belief that it's better if all magic mulliganing from the perspective of this action is, works the same, just across the board. And no matter how else you mulligan, this should be in effect. My feelings on this are complicated, but the, the sum of it is that I don't play Commander. I would play Commander in a totally sociopathic way that is not okay. And it would not be okay for that mulligan rule if I played, <laughs> but I don't. So, shrug? Sure, sure. <laughs> now, with Origins being the last core set, as somebody who's obviously played and worked on Magic yeah. for a long time, are you happy to see the basic concept of a core set go? What do you think? I'll miss it, but I I argued for the switch to the 2-2 model pretty early when I saw that I didn't find a way that I could solve the three-set block thing. So, why fight nature? Sure. I feel like this is just the shape of the world, and we've we're finally seeing magic adjust. And that's the shape of the world now. I mean, I I've been competitively playing magic or reading articles and whatnot since like I guess oh six oh five somewhere like that. And I feel like the number of times that the rules have been changed or the structure's been announced as changing has happened. It feels like it happens every year or two. So you just yep. never know. They can always evolve it again. For what it's worth, no other successful card game does anything that's that's shaped like a magic corset. So sure. 
Magic is in many ways the leader of the industry, but this is one place where everyone else decided a different thing was right. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm not super... I mean, they're great for teaching fundamentals. I have a lot of great memories of playing 10th edition and playing M11 and remembering just like, yeah, just like learning, you know, learning yep. to be better at combat math, learning the basics of drafting bears and things like that. But there'll they'll be other ways to teach players and they're doing a better job. You guys are doing, or you were, we and they were. are doing they a better are. job of designing uh, at the common level of, of, you know, for new players to understand that sort of stuff. And I, and I think it works fine. Yeah. I think, I think there's two ways to look at that factor is one, we have the situation where the, um, New World Order situation has made it so base. Most sets are easier to kind of start on than they used to be. And beyond that, I think the fact that they're now printing new cards and supplemental products makes it so the like the coolness of what M10 was, which was like, oh, they're printing like basic flavorful spells they couldn't print anywhere else. They can still do that. It's just going to be in the commander products or whatever other supplementary products that come out or the uh, conspiracy product or whatever kind of thing Wizards thinks about doing on yep. a whim. Um, so we'll I think see. it's safe to say that this year was a success for Magic. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it the rating I gave it at the beginning, which is a 9 out of 10. <laughs> what about you guys? The last question on the outline is, was this year a success for Magic? And you know what? I just answered it. Yay. Yes. <laughs> if you want to follow any of us, you can find Kessler at... Kess Wiley. And you can find me at Ben, ben, ben Bateman Media and the podcast at, at the MMCast. And Tom, where can the people find you and tell us about Battlecast for quick second? I am at Tom Lapelli Magic and... You just said something about Battlecast. So uh, I'm working on a project called Skylanders Battlecast. It is a game that I shouldn't say anything else about. But if you want to see what it is, go ahead and Google Skylanders Battlecast, and the internet will be happy to tell you about it. There it's, are cards and numbers and colors. I saw, I saw there are cards, things. there are colors, <laughs> and there are numbers for sure. There are also Skylanders. And I, we just have an amazing team working on it. On In terms of the game design side, we've got me, we have Patrick Sullivan, and we have Billy Moreno. Oh, sweet. Which is a pretty great squad. And we managed to get Gabor Zixai, who is a magic artist, to be our art director recently. So nice. working with him has been phenomenal. We've, we've got an amazing team. I'm very excited about the project. And uh, maybe one day I'll get to say more soon. <laughs> and we'll have you. We will happily have you on to talk about it when you can. Right. Um, the last plug before we continue, I actually figured out how to play Moto again because uh, my computer died that was able to play at the PC, but I got a new one. So I will be Twitch streaming things. So you should follow me at Xander574 on Twitch. And yeah, I'll be sharing on Twitter. So really just follow us on Twitter at the MMCast. If you pay attention there, you'll find out all of the news. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys very much. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.